All right, so if you looked at the schedule, if you looked ahead, today we are looking at the New Age spirituality. New Ageism, you might even say. And if, like me, you looked at that poster, you saw all these other religions. Islam, Buddhism, Judaism, Hinduism. We've heard of those. You might have learned those in grade school, social science classes. But then this New Age spirituality, you look at the, the list that was on the poster and think, what is that one? And maybe that's why you showed up tonight. You are curious, what is New Ageism? What is New Age thought, New Age spirituality? I had the very same question. When Pastor Kyler emailed me and said, hey, I'm out this week, can you cover it? Of course I'm gonna say yes. Anytime that I can be with adults is just enjoyable for me. I love students, but every now and then I need a break from Axe Body Spray, okay? But my next thought was, what is this? And let me, let me try and shape our minds for just a second with this illustration. Who in here likes charcuterie boards? Charcuterie boards, you know, you get the piece of wood, you throw all the different crackers on there, you got all the cheeses on there, you got all the meats on there. It's what you might call like a smorgasbord meal, right? It's just a little bit of anything and everything, okay? Or um, one th one, when we go to Pittsburgh on our mission trips, we would always go to this one restaurant because any kid can be happy here. It's New Asian Buffet, okay? It's in Pittsburgh, but you guys know exactly what this type of restaurant is. If you want pizza, you get pizza. If you want mac and cheese, you can get that too. You want sushi, get sushi. There's fried chicken, there's hibachi, whatever you want, you can get at this Asian Buffet Grill and you can put on your plate. That way any kid can be happy and I can have basically every region of the world's food all on the same plate. It is a little bit of anything and everything. That really is New Age spirituality in an illustration. It's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. There are some things that might sound Christian. There are gonna be some things that might sound Buddhist or Hindu or even Islamic. It's just a little bit of piecing here and there. It's, so that makes it very difficult to define. It's very difficult to find concrete teachings on New Age spirituality. In fact, what you have to do instead is look at practices and what people say and make sense of it that way. And so as we go through here, there's an element of warning for us because this thought, New Age thought, New Age spirituality, it, it can really easily infiltrate our churches. And, and even there are churches that this teaching has infiltrated. We see it maybe in some books, maybe even some teachers that you guys might follow uh, on the internet or through podcasting or through reading books or anything like that. We, we need to be careful here. So there's a little bit of, of warning with New Age spirituality. And there's, there's themes of enlightenment and that we must you know, be, be aware of. But if I were to maybe put an image of, of two people for New Age spirituality that you would recognize, and they may or may not say this about themselves, but one is going to be, honestly, Oprah Winfrey. Oprah's religion, while it might have some Christian background or even her childhood upbringing, when you listen to her or you read her writings, you're going to see a lot of similarities to New Age spirituality. And then the other one is this pervasive kind of religious athletic culture. You know the athletes, how they talk about God and they all about glorifying God, but there's really no substance to what they're saying. That is there's a lot of, if you look, listen to interviews, and I'll mention one MMA fighter in a little bit, you, if you listen to them, there is some 
element of New Age teachings in their belief systems. And so I kind of wanted to paint two pictures of it for you, but let's, let's dive in. Where does New Age spirituality come from? What, what is the history? So if you have the sheets here, this is kind of the first section. It's called New Age, but it's really not so new. This was really kind of originated in the 1970s and exploded then in the 1980s as well. But there's an element of it that's not new at all. Because part of New Age spirituality is that you, as a, as a person, can become like God. You guys ever heard that before? Satan, Garden of Eden, Genesis 3. If you eat this fruit, you will become like God. So in some sense, it's, it's not that new because we see its origin there in Genesis chapter 3. But there have been a few writings that took this off. Shirley MacLaine, she wrote a couple of pieces and her writings really kind of set the trajectory and gave some concrete belief system, uh, some, not, not much, but some loose ideas of a belief system for New Age spirituality. So what is their authority? The truth is, there is no authority. While the, her writings might outline her experience with the divine and, and her journey through the domain of darkness and all these kind of things, there's not a system of beliefs and teachings like we have in God's word. There's no real authority. It's kind of come as you go. You have yours, I have mine. We'll get to relative truth in a little bit. But the way that I've kind of understand it, understood it just personally is, is by these two words, autonomous authority. You have authority for your autonomy. I'm auto my autonomy, I have my own authority. We are different from one another. I have my thing, you have your thing. Because because I can tap into this godly divine power, I have my own authority, because you can tap into your godly divine power, you have your own authority. And so the purpose of life is to channel your enlightenment. The purpose of life is, is to tap into your, this godly divine power, to bring about your plan, to become your own sovereign. And so there's no real authority that you submit to, which we'll, we'll get to in a second in the beliefs about God. There's no real authority that you submit to or trust or surrender over to because you have the capability of becoming your own sovereign. That's what this teaching believes. Let's dive into that a little bit more. What, what do they believe? Like I said earlier, the smorgasbord, a little bit of anything and everything so here's a couple key words that I'll throw out and we'll wrap up this section with just one thing. Eastern mysticism. Eastern mysticism. People believe that this has, this new age spirituality has its roots back in Eastern mysticism. Uh, maybe developing some extra spiritual sense for you to be aware of your surroundings and even be able to create your own reality. It, it sounds very ambiguous, if, if you will, right? Does it not? Right, that you just have this ability to create your own reality that you can develop this extra spiritual sense that maybe not other people have developed as strongly. And so you can kind of create for yourself your own reality and your own future. But another part of that is pantheism. Pantheism. Now you've likely heard of pantheism. It kind of goes on there with all the theans, all the different world perspectives, right? You got polytheism, you got theism, monotheism, uh, deism, atheism, panentheism. Pantheism is the teaching or the perspective that all is God, or all is divine. So that means humans, trees, snails, tigers. Everything has its own divine essence. And because of this, like I mentioned already, everything has its own spiritual authority. 
But this is where I, I, I want us to just take a second and compare what we believe to what is being taught here. Why would you want to worship something that is not actually divine? Like, do we really believe that I have a divine, as I can't control my own hiccups? Like, I can't control my own children sometimes. Right, like, am I really worthy of worship? No. Like, I, I want my worship to go to someone who, who is undefiled, who is perfect, who is righteous, who actually is supreme, who doesn't need to develop into enlightenment or ascend into divinity, but is divine himself. Right, that, that's the God that I want to worship. That's the one that I want to surrender to and submit to, the one that I want to obey. And this is where, in their belief systems, things just feel uh, ambiguous, as I've already said, and, and maybe we can say it this way, the, the fallacy of ambiguity, the fallacy of ambiguity. When you ask someone with new age beliefs and you try and press into a little bit more what they believe, there's, because of the ambiguity of it, they're able to backtrack. Because there's no concrete teaching, they're not able to really defend what they believe. Because what they believe, they're allowed to believe that you can believe something else. There's nothing set and standard. There's nothing across the board. There's nothing concrete. And so if you were to ask, uh, what, what do you believe about God? And they give an answer of like, oh, so you do believe that there is a real God? He's a person we can know? Well, no, 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 that's not really what I mean. They can, they can backtrack. It, it's ambiguous. And if you talk to one person, then you go to person B, they might give you completely different answers. And so their belief system, because of the pick and choose anything, nothing really makes concrete sense. It's all ambiguous. Ambiguous. It's unsure. So what do they say about God? As we've mentioned already, God is less of a person that we know and submit to and maybe more of a force or an ideal that you can tap into. Uh, does anybody in here know the movie Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah, a couple, a couple of you. Yeah, some of you know. Some of you are like, yeah, my kids have watched that movie. I understand. Guardians of the Galaxy, number two, the main character, Peter Quill, he finds out that he has a father who is a god who can kind of create his own reality and they can work together to kind of create this new existence. There's a little bit of spiritual or, or new age thought that is going into play, even in that movie, that you and I can work together to kind of create this new world and this new reality and, and you and I together are able to do these divine creative actions and acts. So it's, it's not a perfect illustration, but it's a little bit like that. There's not a creator that you submit to, but that you yourself can become like God or become like a God. So what do they say about man? Where well, we believe that man is created in God's image, right, for the purpose of glorifying God through creation, not just in procreation, right, be fruitful and multiply, but through making disciples as well. Like we, we make disciples to the glory of God. Right? We believe that history is defined by Man being made in God's image, man sinning against God, being separated from God, and then God's great rescue plan of sending his son Jesus to come and live perfectly, die sacrificially, being resurrected from the grave, that anyone who has faith in him can be restored. And so the path of history really is man falling into sin, Christ redeeming us and restoring not just humans, but all of creation. For them, the purpose of mankind, as I've mentioned already, and the, the, really the, the history of the world 
is all about ascending into enlightenment, ascending into divine being, ascending into um, uh, this spiritual kind of awakening of sorts. Uh, this is part in due because of something they call the change in consciousness, or you could even say it, the Christ consciousness. Now, just as we believe that God is a person, we believe Christ is a person, they believe that Christ is more of a mindset, that it's more of a perspective that you can reach, that it's more of a framework that you can operate within. Christ consciousness. So if we reach this, this um, level of enlightenment, if we reach this level of spirituality, then we can be like Christ, that we can then avoid hardships, that we can then avoid setbacks, that we can overcome any obstacle. For them, Jesus of Nazareth ascended into Christ consciousness. He is the, the, the best of the best when it comes to becoming enlightened and ascending into this Christ consciousness. That's why he was able to perform miracles. That's why he is the one that is talked about through History. That's why he's the one with these teachings that are good for people, right? Which, I mean, we, would, we, would, we believe Christ's teachings are good for people. We believe more than that, that Christ is the Son of God who's come to save us from sin, that he has not just ascended into Christ or, or Christ-likeness or godliness, but that he is divine, that he is, as we celebrate Christmas, God with us, that he is, as Philippians 2 would say, the, taking the form of a servant, Right, that he is divine in essence, that he is the God-man, that he is God in flesh. And so that is like the polar opposites of what they would believe and what we believe, that Christ is a person that we can know, that has come to save us, that <clears throat> has come to save us and that we can follow and that our lives can be changed by, not just a framework for which we ought to live our life and aspire to so that we can avoid setbacks and overcome difficulties. But they believe that if they can do this, then they reach that level of being a sovereign and can control it all. Another thing that they believe about man is in reincarnation. Now you're familiar with reincarnation, that when you die, you come back in another form. They believe in reincarnation. But one thing that's interesting, because they believe that we're all autonomous, we're all aspiring to become our own sovereign kind of God, they really don't belong to anybody. I don't know about you guys, but I need to belong to a group of people. Like, I have my family and I have my church, you guys, to belong to. Because I know that hardships do come. I know setbacks do come. I know that I have friends and brothers and sisters. I know that I have people older to, than me that I can look up to. I know I have people younger than me that are counting on me. I need all of the one another's. We need all of the one another's given to us in the Bible, bearing one another's burdens, confessing our sins to one another, loving one another, serving one another, teaching one another, admonishing one another, encouraging one another. We need these. This is something sacred about God's people. He has always had people, not just a person, right? We're not just individuals, but he saves you to become a part of the us, the family of God. This is significant, and it's been his plan of salvation from the very beginning. When he saw Adam in the garden, what did he say? That's not good. Let me give him Eve. What were they constructed to do? 
Be fruitful and multiply. To have people. Right? Look at the Abrahamic blessing and, and uh, covenant in Genesis 12 and 15. I'm going to bless the world through your family. Right? Look at the, the way that Israel is set up. That they are to be a blessing to the other nations. Right? Christ comes and redeems God's people. Seals the uh, sacrifice for sin once and for all. And what does Christ say when, we, when he leaves and departs? I'm going to give you my helper, the Spirit, and through him and through you, you're going to bless the world with my teachings. You're going to bless the world with this gospel. Right? We need people. Right? You are designed, I am designed, we are designed to be in fellowship with one another. This is one of the greatest gifts of man. Squirrels don't gather like this. Oak trees don't gather like this. We are different in the fact that we gather together to know God personally and corporately together. This is significant for us. And it is something that a New Age spiritualist person will forsake. For them, it is a solo, not race, but it is a solo journey. Solo journey. Now, going through their beliefs is a little difficult because you're trying to take something that is not concrete and put it into writing. But when we look at practices, we can see a little bit more about what they actually believe. And so you're going to hear me repeat some things here um, about what they practice, and you'll see some of their beliefs. So if you want to turn your page over, one of the things that they practice is general spirituality. General spirituality. If you have ever seen the movie Forrest Gump, think of Jenny, right? Jenny, she's kind of the 1970s hippie mantra, right? Kind of that, that icon there kind of go with the flow, searching for my own happiness, trying to find my way through life. Whatever works for me doesn't necessarily work for you. You go your way. I'm going to go my way. Jenny from Forrest Gump is kind of a good picture, if you will, of general spirituality. It's, it's the journey of trying to find yourself, but this is not set by any doctrinal beliefs to follow. Well, I'm glad that I have doctrine given to me in God's word to not only direct my beliefs, but because it directs my beliefs, it directs my worship, it directs my actions, my practices as well, right? Orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy, you may have heard before. But a person who is practicing this general spirituality, they have nothing like that. And so it just feels forced. It's almost like, it feels like a forced spirituality. Uh, you guys are familiar with probably forced religion, Think of the Pharisees, right? You're just forcing legalism on somebody. Do this, don't do that. For spirituality, you've probably encountered somebody like this where every conversation must go to the utmost spiritual degree. Now, we believe in spiritual forces, right? We believe that there is present evil here among us. We believe that there are angels that are God's created beings, right? We believe in the spiritual realm as Christians, but this feels... Like with, with, with no real set of beliefs, just this forced kind of vague, ambiguous, forced spirituality on people. Um, what's going to be emphasized here is love and happiness. It's going to be emphasized, love and happiness. As Christians, we love happy. We, we love love and we love happy. We love happy, that sounds weird. Right? We, we love love, right? God is love. We love happiness to the greatest extent, which is truly joy. Right? We see a whole book of Philippians written kind of about that. But someone with general spirituality practices, they're going to avoid to the utmost degree fear, doubt, judgment especially. You will not hear those words out of a person's mouth who practices New Age spirituality. 
to them, like those are to be avoided. We are to not talk about, discuss, think about those things at all. But as Christians, we must. We must. We, we can say with Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Well, we can look at the judgment of God. And we were talking about this with our summer interns earlier. What does it mean to be justified? Like the legal declaration that I am righteous by my faith in the Son of God. Not because of my faith, but because of the merits of Christ. They, they justify me even when I'm a sinner, even when you're a sinner. Right? Judgment is a main theme of Christianity that we must face. So general spirituality. Let's move to the next one. This is becoming more and more common in our, in our day and time, isn't it? Relative truth. Relative truth. Because they believe each person has their own divinity, each person then has their own truth. You've heard maybe phrases like, ah, that's just your truth. Right? You maybe have heard that before. What's, your, what's true is for you, but it's not necessarily true for me. Maybe at first, uh, the desire for uh, that's your truth just is trying to be considerate, maybe. I don't want to offend you with what I believe, so you believe what you believe, and I'll just believe what I believe. Maybe it's, it, the desire maybe started out as being considerate, but this is, is not considerate because you're, you're lying, right? To believe in relative truth, that alone, this is where it, it all seems illogical. That alone is that relative? Is relative truth relative? So then is there absolute truth? It just doesn't quite make sense to me, right? Um, if I lend you $1,000 and you go to pay me back $1,000, but I say, actually, my truth says that you owe me $2,000. It sounds really good for me. Doesn't sound so good for you, right? It, it doesn't, we, we don't need, we need something that we can stand on, right? God's word given to us, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17, all scriptures breathed out by God, it is useful, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete. We are incomplete without concrete teachings. Ephesians 4 talks about uh, the person who is tossed to and fro by the waves of doctrine and human cunning, deceitfulness and craftiness and, and, craftiness and deceitful schemes. Right? I don't want to be tossed to and fro like a kid trying to stand in the tides at Myrtle Beach. I need something to sink my feet in that are concrete that I can have confidence to stand firm in. Right? I need something that is true to bank my life on. We need, we need something to believe in that we can have assurance in. I don't want to live this life and at the end of the day just hope that I got it all right. Just hope that I figured it out or just hope that what I believe is true. No, I, I want to know. Paul would say that if, if none of this is true, then our lives are in vain. But if it is, like we must give our lives to it. 1 Corinthians 15. So relative truth, it, it feels illogical. Maybe it's got good intentions, but it's, it's not good because you're lying to one another. But another one is this transference of energy. How do you feel about that? Transference of energy. You guys see this on Facebook? Someone posts something bad, sending you good vibes, sending you good vibes over here. Good vibes only. You seen that t-shirt? I saw it at Disney last week, right? Sending positive thoughts. Just wait for your breakthrough. Here it comes. Uh, or like this coffee shop, this coffee shop has good energy. Like I get a lot of work done here. Or, you know, I'm kind of an outdoorsy person. And so let's say you're walking through the woods. Maybe it's like the redwoods, you know, like the red, you know, beautiful trees. Wow, this forest has got great energy. And then you get like the tree hugger who actually hugs the trees to embrace that energy. 
I mean, there's the belief that everything, because every pantheism, everything has a godly divine essence, that everything you can tap into its good energy. Oh, I don't want that bad energy here, so you can avoid the, the bad energy. Uh, this idea that you and I possess kind of this, I don't know, supernatural electrical charge that we can connect with other things and um, benefit from or be drained from other things in our lives. Now, we, we do believe that we can not send good vibes, but we do believe we can bear one another's burdens and we can do something better than sending good vibes. We can, we can go on behalf of someone in prayer. Right? This is the gift and the privilege we have as followers of God. That he, in Hebrews 4, 16, says that we can approach his throne, the throne of grace, to find mercy and grace to help in times of need. Right? So that you, when your sister or your brother or your friend are struggling, well, you don't need to send good vibes and good energy their way, but you can take their tragic situation, their sorrowful situation, and you can go to the one who is in control of all things. I mean, just like we did at the beginning of our time together, to pray for a sister to the God who is able. Right? That is far better than sending good vibes. That's a half-hearted attempt at seeming like a good friend. Whereas we can be a genuine friend and intercede for, just as Christ has done for us, intercede for, pray for, bring someone to the throne room of God that they may find grace and mercy to help in times of need. So transference of energy, bizarre in my mind. The next one, you see the word inclusivity? If you want to write beside that, universalism, I think that word maybe we're more familiar with um, in our just understanding of religions and belief systems. Inclusivity, universalism. Let's go back to the fact that they believe everyone has the ability to kind of achieve Christ consciousness, kind of tap into their divine nature and being. So therefore, if that's the case, then who are we to decide who suffers and who is in glory forever? Right? Who are we to decide? So therefore, if that's the case, then they just believe that all will one day you know, kind of reach the, the good end. Now, they might use language like heaven, and this is where it is close to Christian teaching. They will use language like heaven, but it's not the heaven that we know with the, the presence of God where death and pain are no more, where we are restored to our maker, where our sins are forgiven and, is, and held away from east to the west. Right? We, we believe that heaven. For them, heaven is the place where you get to fill, fill out all your dreams. You want to read books on the beach? Man, that's what heaven's for. You want to hit that round of golf? That's what heaven's for. And go run around with your dog? Not to say dogs aren't in heaven, but like that's what heaven's for. You know, like that's, for them, heaven is just kind of the, the paradise that honestly, if we're not careful, seeps into our own Christian culture. I mean, let's be mindful about the eulogies that we give at funerals. That heaven is more than just playing your favorite round of golf at a beautiful course next to the ocean. Heaven is far more than that. Heaven is the unifying of a sinner to God. That is what the glory of heaven is about. And so for them, universalism, kind of because we're all our own God being, we will all one day reach a paradise, but that paradise is not set by any teachings or belief systems. It's just kind of whatever you want your future to be. But this next one, the law of attraction. 
I think that's like a physics term. I'm not a physics guy. That's a physics term right though, right? Yeah? Someone much smarter than me give me like a nod. Okay, there's some nods. Okay, good, good, good. Jenna, you're smarter than me. Nah, okay. Law of attraction. This is not necessarily any type of physics or magnets or anything like that. It is the idea of think positive thoughts, get positive experiences. Think negative thoughts, get negative experiences. The law of attraction. You could say it maybe another way. Manifest your own reality. Manifest your own destiny. Speak it into existence. What you say has power. Your words have power because you have a divine power that you're tapping into. Your words have power, therefore speak it and, and you can receive it. That's the law of attraction that New, Age, New Ageism teaches. And you even hear this in the prosperity gospel a lot. Right? Joel Osteen is pretty popular for his I am statements. Now we believe in some I am statements found in John, but Joel Osteen has his own I am statements. I am blessed, I am wealthy, I am healthy, I am, I am good. These kind of I am statements. Joel Osteen, he, he says these things trying to speak them into existence. If I say I am wealthy enough, wealth will come my way. So you can kind of see the law of attraction here with new ageism. It sounds maybe pretty similar to prosperity gospel. It's because it is. Uh, Norman Peale, Norman Peale, P-E-A-L-E, E, P-E-A-L-E, he wrote a book called The Power of Positive Thinking. And this really kind of set the trajectory for the law of attraction with New Age thinking. But more recently, there was a book, even in Christian circles, about writing out your dreams and circling them. And maybe some of the thought was like Joshua in the Battle of Jericho, circling the walls of Jericho, that if you continue to, to circle your dreams, that they will eventually come true because you manifested them into existence. And we need, to be, we need to be careful here. You know, Luke 11, 9, uh, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. You're familiar with that verse? Well, that's a great verse. We believe it to be true because Jesus spoke it. But we need to understand that when we come in to God in prayer, we are believing in God to do according to his will. Our faith is not in the prayer itself. Our faith is in the God we pray to. But for them and in this book, the faith was in the act of asking. If I ask hard enough, if I ask uh, enough, if I ask sincerely enough or enough times, then it will be done because I am, man I am projecting it into existence. I am causing it to happen because of my effort here to make it happen. And so you will see even Matthew, or Luke 11, 9 and other verses of the Bible that say that same verse. Um, you will see those being used here at Law of Attraction in this teaching of New Ageism. And we need to be careful. Right? Faith is not in the act of prayer. Faith is in the one that we pray to. That we pray to. And let me kind of hit this last one here, this last practice. Mysticism. Mysticism. It's the practice or belief that oneness with God can occur through observable behaviors. That the practice or belief that oneness with God can occur through observable behaviors. Tarot cards, Ouija boards, mantras, even like, I know there's like yoga stretching, like 
I don't know, John's like the downward dog, like that kind of stretching, I don't know. Not gonna do that for you guys. But they're stretching, I get that. But then there's like the pure form of yoga where you're doing these stretches and meditating, trying to empty out your mind so that you can have oneness with God, mysticism. That's another belief or practice of people with new age thoughts. But what is so fascinating about this, oneness with God, they believe needs to be done through these mantras, these meditations, these these practices, and these external kind of crystal ball-like things. We believe that oneness with God is actually possible. But it's not because of observable behaviors by me. It's because of what's recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That Christ, the Son of God, has come to be with us. John 1.14. That the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Or that he became not one in the sense that we are attached at the hip, but he became one with us by living among us, by shedding his blood for us, by being resurrected for us, and that by any who come to him in faith would then receive his helper, the spirit, the seal or the guarantee of our inheritance. That we who have faith in Christ, we now have the Holy Spirit with us, God with us, not by not by stretching and yoga, not by tarot cards and crystal ball experiences and palm readings, not by any of those things, but because God in his good pleasure decided that he wanted to dwell with you. That God in his good pleasure decided the plan of rescue for sinners was to use former sinners alienated from God. That is his plan of salvation, was to use us. And he has decided to become with us. And so it's just so fascinating. You can see how there's so much overlapping, how there's so much intertwining, how there's so many similarities to their practices, but none of them are backed by concrete beliefs. None of them have a a set of standards to which they believe and worship and obey. And this is where, as Christians, we must be careful and we must be students of the word. We must be mastered by the word. I've shared this before, so if you've heard me say it before, forgive me. But in the morning, I kind of have a few things that I remind myself before I read my Bible. One is I need, I'm prone to believe lies, so I need truth. Two, I'm, I'm prone to discouragement, and I need to be encouraged. Right? Three, I, I'm prone to be wayward, and I need to be restored. Or I'm prone to be lost, and I need God's direction in my life. These are the reasons why we go to God's word because in them we find not just the beliefs and doctrinal statements of of who God is, of how he operates this world, of who we are in light of who he is, of what sin is and what is wrong with the world around us, but also like God's plan for remedying all those things. That he has sent his son Jesus to, to come and to be not just with us as a good example, although he is an example we should follow, but that more than that, he is our rescuer, that he is our redeemer, that he reconciles us by his blood. We, we must be people who know what we believe so well so that we can spot out counterfeits like this, that even the small intricacies that sound Christian, ask, seek, knock, we're able to, to, to discern what is real and not real, what is backed by the word and what is not. And so I want to encourage you, uh, with this new age spirituality, as I mentioned at the beginning, it's, it's smorgasbord. It's a little confusing. It's a little ambiguous. 
I would encourage you to go research it. There's a couple people out there that are really uh, intelligent. Um, they were at a church that had kind of this new age teaching, kind of rescued from that. And her name is Melissa Dodery, D-O-U-G-H-T-E-R-Y, I think is how you spell her name. She's on YouTube. She's got a couple writings. It's, she's really helpful to understand how this compares to Christianity and how we as Christians need to know how this might infiltrate our churches. I'm thankful to be at Hickory Grove where, I mean, if you walk anywhere in our church, you will know we, we sincerely believe what the Bible teaches, that we hold it with high reverence, that we desire to follow it in every respect. And so I'm thankful to be at a church like that. But the truth of the matter is, you and I may not always be at Hickory Grove. And we need to, wherever we are next, we need to be able to discern uh, what the Bible teaches and are there any of these secret teachings seeping into our church? We must be careful. Uh, while we talked about this uh, starting in the 70s and 80s, I would say I've even seen a rise of it with the younger generations. Uh, with TikTok, Instagram, social media outlets like that, sending good vibes, that's language you see on any internet platform. Even the young people are nodding along with me. So like they, they have witnessed it uh, too, right? We must be careful. This is a, this is a Western postmodern culture belief system. And if we look at America in 2023, you see a lot of Western postmodern influences. And so I, I actually believe we're gonna see more and more of this. Now, if we were to travel to another country, travel over the seas, we're gonna see a lot of Islam. We're gonna see a lot of Buddhism and Hinduism. I think here in our own backyard, we're gonna begin seeing more and more of this. Relative truth, transference of energy, general spirituality, we're gonna see these things. And so we must not only, we must not only know what we believe, but we must be able to spot out these things and be willing to have the conversations. This is where you can have confidence as you share your faith, knowing that it is backed by a book, that you don't need to backtrack what you believe and say, no, no, no wait, that's not what I believe. But you can go to the word and say, right here, this, this is what I believe. And that is stood the test of time. It's a, con it's a concrete foundation that you can stand on, that you can have your hope set in. And so let me pray for us. And then I believe there is, I was told watermelon, so if it's not watermelon, forgive me. I haven't seen it myself. Is it watermelon, Randy? Randy's giving me the nod. It is watermelon. So let me pray for us, and then we can enjoy some time of fellowship eating some watermelon. And remember, this was the last, this was the last foundations for the summer. We'll pick back up come the fall. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have not only revealed yourself to us generally through your good creation, but that you have revealed yourself to us specifically through your word, that you have told us who you are, how you operate, how you orchestrated the world, how you've designed us, what's wrong with us, and how you've come to rescue us. God, I'm, I'm, thank you. I, I'm thankful that I don't have to be on my own, but that I can belong to you and to these people, that we can have one another. Father, we pray that you would equip us with your word, that you would allow us to not only know it well, but to be able to articulate it well to those that are around us. Father, we ask that you would draw back the powers and presence of sin and Satan in this false teaching. God, we pray that you would draw it back from our backyard. And then I pray that you would give us a heart for the lost. God, allow us to weep for those that do not call on Jesus as Savior.
allow us to be broken over those that have no real hope, who are wandering, who are searching to make their life better, hoping that they have it in themselves to do it. When God, we know that in Christ Jesus, you can do that in us that you can save us and bring us to a new life, that you can grant us a new future far better than anything we could fathom or imagine. God, we, we pray that you would use us as Hickory Grove, as Christians, as individual believers, to declare the glory, the hope, and the truth of your gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.